So I want to tell you a story this morning, start with a story that happened that I heard when I was in junior high at Flaming Spirit Christian Camp. What a name for a kid's camp, huh? Flaming Spirit. That's where I grew up going uh, back in Missouri. And there was a drama team that came from Manhattan Christian College in Manhattan, Kansas. So it would have been college-age students, 19 to 22 or so. There's probably six or eight or ten of them. I don't really remember. But they would travel around all summer long representing their college and doing drama ministry at church camps for kids, recruiting also high school kids to come to their school and so on. So it was their summer ministry and... I remember, I don't know why I remember this story so well, but I do because it scared me. Because I understood, I think, really well what it meant. Uh, they said when they got there to our camp that they arrived in some sort of 12 or 15 passenger van pulling a cargo trailer with their sound equipment and their props and their luggage. They told us that on the day they were supposed to leave for their summer tour of Christian camps, kids' camps, that their van fell through, and I think it was a big mechanical problem, but I'm not exactly certain why they lost their van. But just hours before they are supposed to leave for the summer, they lose their van. They have nothing. So they gathered at one of the people's houses, and they sat in the front lawn in a circle, and they prayed, and they sang. They asked God to provide them a van and trailer, and they sat in a circle in the lawn, for, it seems to me this story is from 30 years ago, but it seems like it was an, a couple of hours. And then right into this kid's driveway pulls a man in a 15-passenger van with a trailer on it. And he, turned, he pulls in and he says, do you kids need this van and trailer? Because I think the Lord told me to drive here and give it to you. And it seems like maybe you're going to need it for a while. And they said, Yes, actually, we're sitting here waiting on God to provide for us. And they jumped in, loaded their luggage, jumped in, and took off and made it to camp on time. And that scared me as a middle school kid because I understood that that's a lot of faith to not panic, to not get on the phone, get on the credit card, figure this out, work it out. They just sat and asked God and waited on him to provide. And I didn't, even as a middle school kid, I... I didn't want to have to do that. I didn't want to be in a position where I needed God that desperately for what it was I needed to do. So that story stuck with me. It's the thing I probably remember most out of my church camp years as a kid. I know now God was preparing me for stuff that was coming, but at the time I I wanted to avoid situations like that at any cost. Well, Jesus has some things to tell us about faith when we pray about how he will answer. So let's look at Matthew chapter 21. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Notice the order of what Jesus instructs us, how he instructs us to pray. Ask God for whatever it is you need and believe that he's there, that he hears you, that he will answer, and then you will receive. Wishing prayers don't count. Shotgun prayers don't count. Just throw a whole bunch up there and hope a couple of them hit something. We've been talking about faith now for two and a half months. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 says that we are absolutely convinced of what has not yet happened. 
we are sure of what we have not yet seen. That's faith. So Jesus says to pray in faith means to ask and believe and then it will happen. And there's always a time period in there between the asking and the receiving where we have to live by faith. That God is real, that he's there, that he heard me, that he'll provide what I need. Jesus said a similar statement in Mark 11, 22 to 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Notice Jesus says, pray and ask God for whatever you need. Believe you receive them. Not, not believe you might receive them. Not believe you will receive them. Believe you receive them when you ask. And then you will receive them. There's always a time difference between the spirit world and the space-time continuum of the natural world. That we have to live in faith. This is like God calling Abraham, the father of many children, a decade and a half before he has any children. But when God says, I have done it, he has done it, even though it hasn't happened yet. Hello? Jesus says, pray and ask God for whatever you need to ask. But when you pray, believe that you receive what you ask for. Believe what you say. And then you will see it happen. And there's a couple of guys in the Old Testament that God requires this kind of faith from that I want to show you. And the first one is Moses. This is the day after the Exodus. They have left Egypt on the night of the Passover. And God in the fiery pillar has led them to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh and his army have come up behind them to kill them all. And they are trapped between the water and the army. And God requires this kind of faith from Moses. That Moses cries out to God and God says, do this. And Moses has to do it and wait for God to show up. Here we go. From Exodus 14, I've abbreviated some of this just because it's a long passage and we don't need all the details for what I'm doing this morning. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, You have brought us to the desert to die. What have you done to us? It would have been better for us to remain slaves than to die in the desert. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. In the beginning of this chapter, God tells Moses, I'm going to lead you into a trap. God says, I'm going to lead you down to the Red Sea, and then I'm going to move on Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to make him chase you so that I can kill him. It is so totally like God to lead us into very scary, painful situations just so he can display his power. And we get trapped between God and his enemies, but it is so that God can display his victory. 
It's our job just to stand still and watch him, watch his deliverance. All right, so they get there, and the people are screaming, we're all going to die, which was totally common sense. Absolutely, they were all going to die. They're trapped between the water and the army, and they're screaming, and they're blaming Moses. They're angry. They're scared. And Moses says, stand still and watch God fight this battle. There's quite a few instructions here that we need to get on how God, how God expects us to behave in faith. Number one, when you are scared, stand still. Do not make decisions when you are afraid. I've spent two and a half months telling you that the feeling of fear is not a sin. That there's no way we can control that. God does not expect us to shut off our emotions in faith. The feeling of fear is not a sin, but all through Scripture, Jesus and angels and God are continually saying, don't be afraid. So if that doesn't mean feeling afraid, what does it mean? It means don't do something stupid. Don't make decisions when you're afraid. The people are panicking and about to run, and Moses says, stand still. Number one lesson about faith we got to know is stand still. Don't move. Don't make dumb decisions when you're afraid, when you think you're trapped. And God isn't going to come through. Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And then he says, the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. The notes in my Bible say that literally Moses said, the Lord will fight for you. You shut up. They're screaming in terror. Moses says, shut up. The other lesson about faith we've got to know is that mature, faithful people are usually very quiet. They're not speaking their fear and their doubt and their panic all the time. They're not talking about their problems. They're normally quiet. It doesn't do any good to go around blabbing about your problems and your troubles and how scared you are and this bad thing might happen and this bad thing might happen. Moses and God say, be quiet. If you have to bite your lips, bite your lips. Just be quiet and watch God. Don't speak your fear. Because you work yourself into an emotional froth. Moses says, stand still, be quiet, and watch God. That's the instruction of faith. But then God speaks to Moses. This is interesting. God speaks, it's rather ironic. He says, Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the people to move forward. Moses told them to stand still. God says move forward. God is not correcting Moses. When Moses tells them to stand still, it's because they're panicking and they're about to run. But once they've gotten a hold of themselves and they're listening to Moses and they're calm and they're looking at God, now God says, march forward. No one, no one, no one, not even Moses is thinking we need to march down into that water. That's, that's how we're going to get out of here. We're going to walk through the sea. Nobody but God is thinking that. But God is thinking that. God says, move forward. There's so many times in our lives God will lead us into a corner and then he'll say, move forward. But God, there is a wall right here. I cannot move forward. Move forward anyway. God, this is the beach. This is the end of the land. I can't go any further. Go forward. God expects them to step into the water before He shows them what He is going to do. 
Jesus says, when you pray, believe, and then you will see it. God says, you're crying out to me, that's prayer, you're crying out to me for salvation. I say, believe me, step into the water, and then you will see it. He doesn't tell them he's going to part the water. He doesn't tell them anything. He just says, do this. That's faith. That's, we've talked about this for two months now. Faith is not wishing or hoping. Faith is not a passive trust. Trust is good, but, but passive trust is just, well, we'll wait and see what God will do. Faith is action. Faith is action. I am so convinced I know God and I know what he has told me to do. I'm going to do it. Instead of waiting for the door to open, I'm just going to walk through it. Because I know he told me it will open. This is faith. This is what Jesus meant when he says pray and believe and then you'll see it. God says the the people are praying. They're crying out to God. God says, all right, now believe me. Walk forward and then you will see it. So we're going to show you a little clip from the Ten Commandments movie from the 1950s. Charlton Heston as Moses. Those of you younger than me may not have seen this movie before. You didn't grow up watching it every year on TV like the rest of us did. It's a great movie. It's one of the top five movies of all time as far as ticket sales. Uh, it's it's kind of cheesy now, the acting. Ah. Yeah, okay. They but it's from the era when Hollywood used to do mo- Bible stories as movies. It was pretty. It was a different world. But anyway, if you have not seen this movie, you need to see it. This is one of the defining moments, actually, of American history. Is this movie right here? This is the scene where Moses parts the Red Sea. This scene does not match what we just read in the Bible. There's something that they got exactly backward. See if you can find it. Okay, that's all we need. Thank you. All right, so that's pretty good special effects for 1956. Part in the Red Sea, everybody in the theater was jaw was on the floor. Okay, so here's Moses. God says, "Why are you crying to me? Tell the people to move forward. Hold out your rod, and the waters will part." And then it says, "An east wind blew all night and parted the waters." They are on the west coast of the Red Sea. And God blew an east wind all night before the part in the Red Sea got to the Israelites. So Moses, this is exactly opposite of what they just showed. That isn't scriptural. The Bible says God told Moses to hold out his rod, and then he got stuck there all night. And nothing was happening, except that it was happening. God was coming from the other direction across the sea he was coming in an east wind all night but think about it from Moses's point of view Moses in front of a quarter million to a million people holding out his rod and nothing is happening uh I know God told me to do this I'm sure something is happening somewhere the pillar of fire is holding off the Egyptians so that they couldn't attack but as far as anyone could see Nothing was happening, except that everything was happening. There are so many times in our circumstances where it looks like God is not hearing our prayer. He is not answering. He is on the way. He's just coming from the other side. And in the middle of that time period, God expects faith. To believe that he's real, that he heard, that he's on the way, that he will answer, that he will provide what he needs. But like Moses, Jesus says, pray, 
Believe and you will receive. Moses prayed. God told him what to do. And he has to stand in faith all night through the dark. God is moving, but he can't see it. God gets there in the morning. The sea parts at the very end, the sea parts in front of them, and they walk through. After all night long. Are we together? Do you see it? Do you get it? Okay, God requires faith of Moses. Tells the people, step down into the water, hold your rod over the lake, and I will part it. The next story I want to uh, point out, this is Joshua. This is 40 years later, as Joshua and the Israelites, the next generation, are about to cross over into the promised land and attack Jericho, and they have to cross the Jordan River when it's flooded. This time God parts the waters, but not in the same way that he did 40 years earlier with Moses. It says, so it was, when the, children, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, as the priests who bore the ark came to the river, as the priests stepped into the water, the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose up in a, very, in a wall very far away. So the waters that flow down to the Dead Sea stopped and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the river, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. This time, God does not part the river in front of them in two parts. God tells Joshua, have the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders stand in the river. Okay, stand in the river, and nothing happens. That they can see. But 26 miles upstream, God stops the water. And all of that water for 26 miles upstream has to continue flowing down. How long would that take? I don't know. Several hours for water to run 26 miles. The priests are standing in the water, the Israelite army and crowd are in the back. Joshua knows he's heard from God, but nothing happens. Except that everything is happening. You just can't see it. This is faith. We prayed and asked what to do. God told us what to do. We do it. Nothing happens except that it is happening. We just can't see it. And over time, I would guess within an hour or two, the priests begin to realize the water level is dropping on our legs. But it takes some time. Faith. And then they have to walk through on dry land. So this is what Jesus means when he says, when you pray, ask God for whatever you need. Then believe. Take action like it's true before it happens. And then you will see it happen. You've heard me say it that way a lot over the last two months. Act like it's true. Live like it's true before it happens. And faith is active. It isn't a passive trust. Trust is good. There are times when we just, all we can do is wait on God. But there are a lot of times God will command us to take action in faith, believing that he will answer when we obey. So I got a story to tell you, and I apologize to those of you who have heard it before, but most of the people in the room haven't heard it. So I got to tell it again. This is a story that Sarah and I lived through, the lesson that God taught us about living in faith being convinced even when you don't see something coming true. It's not a serious situation. It was very stressful, painful at the time, but it, I, it's nothing like dealing with a death or cancer or 
grandkids in the neonatal intensive care unit. I, there's people in our church who are dealing with infinitely more serious situations than this. And I don't present us as the model of faith, I, but all I can do is tell you our stories. So here is the story, and it's, it was a very serious situation for us to learn what faith is and what it's not. It was just a lesson where God taught us how to pray, like Jesus said to pray. Pray and believe and stand in faith, and then you will see it happen. So we're going back to uh, summer and fall of 2003. Uh, freedom is one, two, will is one, and this one here is six months old. And I was teaching in Elgin, and we'd lived here four years, and we had traveled back and forth to Missouri several times for holidays, and we wanted to go at Christmas of 2003. We had no money, and we needed $1,000 for the plane tickets. We didn't have any money. We had gone before, but we'd put it on a credit card and then paid that off, and that was really stressful uh, on our budget and so on. And we'd been getting some teaching in this kind of living by faith and praying and, and, and uh, not just passively trusting God, but taking him at his word. And I didn't grow up in that kind of church. I didn't understand that. In fact, at first I would totally rejected it, but the Lord was patient with me and I was beginning to get some truth about this kind of stuff and, and needed to learn a lesson. So we decided that we were not going to use the credit card as a crutch. We were going to put our faith in God. We were going to ask, like Jesus said, we were going to ask, we were going to believe that he heard us and he would answer, and that we would stand in faith until we saw it happen. So sometime in the summer or early fall of 2003, Sarah and I gathered together, we held hands, we agreed in prayer, we asked God for $1,000 for plane tickets to go to Missouri at Christmas. We thanked him for hearing our prayer, and now we wait. We believe we receive until we receive it. And the first step of faith was that we had to tell our family, to tell my parents we're going to be in Missouri for Christmas. Have no money and no plane tickets. Didn't tell them that. Just said, hey, we're going to be in Missouri for Christmas. Had to tell her family here, we're not going to be here for Christmas. We're going to Missouri. Told several of our friends here in church, we're going to be gone for Christmas break. That was probably like October, I suppose. October came and went. November came and went. No money. No plane tickets, no miracle. I was excited. We're going to see what God will do. December came, and it's time to you know, be getting these plane tickets, God. It's time for you to come through. We need a miracle here, God. And we've already stepped out in faith. We've obeyed you. We believe you. We prayed. We know we're doing it all right, God. We're doing it all right. And, and no plane tickets. The first week of uh, December, my mom calls, and she says, Do I need to mail the Christmas presents to Oregon? No, Mom, thanks a lot for trying to kill our faith. No, we're going to be in Missouri for Christmas. Second week of December, her mom says, Do I need to plan for you at our Christmas dinner table? Her mom is here. Like, No, we're going to go to Missouri for Christmas. But you don't have tickets yet. No, God's going to provide. We're going to have a miracle. The third week of December comes. School is out on the 19th. Christmas is uh, Thursday that year. So we got out on Friday before. Christmas break started on the 19th. The Sunday before that, I was absolutely certain we were going to go to church and somebody was going to come up to me and say, God sent an angel in the night and told me to give you $1,000 for your plane ticket to go to Christmas. And uh, so we, I came to church. I was really excited. Like, yes, God's going to, today's the day. He has to do it. It's Friday's coming. You know, we got to do this. 
Sunday came and went and nobody gave us any money. You know, people had given us money at church before. I had given people money at church before. I know the Lord had told me to do that and people have been told. And so money changes hands all the time at the instruction of the Lord. It's not an unrealistic expectation, but it didn't happen. So Monday happens and Tuesday happens and Wednesday comes. School's out on Friday, the 19th. It's Wednesday. We have no money and no plane tickets. So we packed our suitcases. We packed everything for three babies. We packed the pack and play, diapers, toys, everything. And I loaded it up in the Suburban. God is going to do a miracle. He's going to provide us the money. We're going to be in Missouri for Christmas. We had asked, we believed we received, and we're going to receive. We have to stand in faith in the meantime. We can't say, well, we hope God does or God might. That isn't faith. Have to stand in faith. Thursday came and went. Nothing. By now, I'm starting to get really, really nervous. But I don't dare say that to Sarah. She doesn't dare say it to me. We just, okay, we've got to stand strong. Can't quit now. We're in this thing, and it was a little embarrassing, but we're in it. I was certain, you know, God was going to have somebody give us money or a duffel bag of cash was going to drop out of the sky or, you know, I don't know, some bank error in our favor, you know, like the Monopoly card or whatever. Who knows? It's like, okay, God's going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to see it. And I I had to just kind of pep talk myself. Friday, the last day of school came and went, and there was no money and no tickets. And the luggage is still in the suburban. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Come on, we should be leaving now. So, okay, so uh, it's not Christmas yet, so we got, we got Saturday. So, okay, yeah, well, Saturday. Somebody will come by tomorrow. God will send an angel to tell somebody to give us money, and we will buy our tickets, and we will take off. Saturday came and went. And now the next Sunday, of Christmas, the first Sunday of Christmas break, and we have to come to church. Well, we told everybody we were going to be gone for Christmas. That was humiliating. We got here, and a whole bunch of you who were here back in those days, I thought you were going to go to Missouri for Christmas. We are. What can we say? You can't say, well, we thought we were, because that's quitting. Well, we might. That isn't faith. We were trapped. It's like, ah, we are. And again, at Sunday, I was completely convinced God was going to tell somebody to give us money, and none of you disobedient rebels did. Not a one of you gave us any money. <laughs> I, I left here that Sunday morning so disappointed and frustrated. and like, God, what are you doing? I said, like, okay, we're just being tested. This will be all right. And it's like, okay. So I paced back and forth, and we prayed, and we prayed in tongues, and we you know, just, I, I had to unload the stuff because we needed the stuff out of the diaper bags and the suitcases. So I unloaded the Suburban and, and we left the luggage packed, but we had to get some of that out. And then, so Christmas is Thursday. So Monday comes and goes. And Tuesday comes and goes. Like, God, you're wasting time. Christmas break, I could be in Missouri with my family. And Wednesday morning, Christmas Eve morning, Sarah got a call from her Aunt Lou in Pendleton. I don't even know why Aunt Lou called, because she thought we were going to be in Missouri. But she called and said, I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And and weren't you going to be in Missouri for Christmas? Here we go again. What's Sarah supposed to say? Well, we're hoping to. We're, that's our plan. Something like that. You know, we're planning to. She said, well, why aren't you gone yet? And so there's the open door. 
You know, you can't go around, remember, faith is quiet. We can't go around blabbing our need to people because that's manipulation. Right? We didn't come and tell anybody at church that why we wouldn't, hadn't left yet or why we weren't going, hoping, wink, wink, that you'll get the conviction of the Lord and feel sorry for us or whatever. So, but there's an open door. Aunt Lou asked why. So Sarah says, well, it's because we don't have money for a plane ticket. Instantly, Aunt Lou says, well, we'll give you the money. And so Sarah's crying. She's woohooing and yelling and jumping up and down. And the kids are, and she said, Aunt Lou's going to give us the money. And I remember Freedom and Will, they're, at this point, they're like two and three, three and two. Woo, they're jumping up and down and cheering. And there was much rejoicing. I jumped in the car. I raced over to Pendleton. And Uncle Cleveland met me at the door with $1,000 cash in his hand. And he said, how did you expect to get money for this plane ticket? He's not a believer at all. I said, we were praying and put our faith in God. Well, that's not a very good way to get money. I took the $1,000 cash out of his hand and looked him in the eye and I said, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> this is Christmas Eve morning. We, so then we called the airline. They had a flight out of Boise early the next morning on Christmas morning. So we drove, we flew down to Boise as fast as we could, stayed in a hotel, got on the plane at 530 or something Christmas morning, and we were in Missouri for Christmas afternoon. And I was really upset with God for waiting so long. And the lesson I learned is that if you pray to be in Missouri at Christmas, you need to ask God for the 19th if that's what you really mean. As we were in Missouri on Christmas, and that is what we had prayed. All right. Both of us were exhausted. We were frustrated with God. Like, this was the worst faith test we've ever had, and we didn't even have to do it. You know, it's not like one of these situations where you have a health scare or something, and you have to be in this situation. But uh, it's like, God, that was terrible, stressful, and we wasted half of our Christmas break. But... We were there on Christmas. We got exactly what we asked for. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but your family paid for it. Well, what do you, what do you think God is going to do? God isn't going to drop a duffel bag full of cash in your front lawn. You aren't going to win the lottery. You aren't going to have a $2 million bank error in your favor. It's going to come through someone else's love and generosity. It's going to come through your job like you get offered overtime. Like, Well, if God provides, that's not going to mean extra work for me. Well, it might. You might get a second job. You pray for God provide for my bills. Oh, here's an evening job for you. It might be overtime. God, I want you to drop money in my lap. Well, sometimes that happens. People just give you stuff. But a lot of times, you know, Thomas Edison said we miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Whatever God does, everything God does it has to come through people and natural channels. And any skeptic can explain it away. Because God doesn't show up and glorify her in the sky and I am God and here I'm going to pay all your bills. You know, or even healings. A lot of times people explain them away. So if you want to be skeptical, you can be skeptical. But we got exactly what we asked for on the day we asked for it, mistakenly. <laughs> that Christmas, my brother proposed to his girlfriend. They got engaged in there, set their wedding for spring break. Uh, three months later, so March of 2004, I got home and I have to ask for permission from my principal to take a couple vacation days to extend spring break, which was against school rules. Teachers can't use vacation days to extend a break, a holiday. But I needed to because I had to be in Iowa on Friday 
before. So I was talking with my principal, and she said, yes, of course, you may do that. She said, you need to order your tickets right away because there are no flights available out of Boise on that spring break Friday and Saturday. Everybody flies out, and you can't get out of Boise if you don't buy the tickets now. And my first thought was, I don't have another $1,000 to buy more plane tickets. And but my more importantly, my second thought was, oh, I got this. I know how to do this now. I just, you know, I'll just plug in my faith and God will do what he did. And it'll be easier the second time. <sighs> January and February came and went. And we prayed and we believed. Just like Jesus said, we believe we received and we will receive. Okay, it's all right. It's okay. God comes through, but it's, it's a lot of times it's late and We'll just, we'll just keep trusting. Early in March, my mom calls and she says, Mitch, this is your brother's wedding and you are in it. Quit playing games. I'm like, Mom, I don't have money anyway, but I trust God he will provide just like he did at Christmas, which you didn't believe he would, did you? Well, no, not really. Like, it happened, didn't it? Yes, it happened. I'm like, All right, I, we will be there. We will not miss Mesa's wedding. That Sunday comes, and again, I'm thinking, okay, God's going to send somebody with some money to church. Monday, Tuesday comes. We need to fly out of Boise on Thursday to be at Friday rehearsal in Iowa. So Wednesday evening, we have to go to Boise. We've got a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a not-quite-one-year-old. We packed our suitcases. No money, no plane tickets. We have to go. God has to come through. He will provide. We packed our bags. I loaded them in the Suburban, just like last time. Wednesday, I go to school. I'm like, God, come on. I was super nervous. I was nauseous. I was frustrated with his timing and angry with his delays. And why do you stretch us like this? It was so Stretching. Again, I don't mean to say this is as serious as other people's problems, but it was a just it was a real situation for what we were in for the day. Wednesday I get out of school, we have to leave. So we drove we called and got a hotel room and we drove to Boise. I called the airlines probably six or eight times on Wednesday, and not not only did we not have tickets, there is not a single seat available on any plane flying out of Boise. Uh, Thursday or Friday or Saturday. They're gone. I'm like, yes, God is going to do a great miracle. This is going to be awesome. What are you going to do, God? I was petrified, but I was also pretty excited. It's like, this is going to be awesome. So we drove to Boise. And I was really, really scared. I was up till probably 2 o'clock in the morning calling airlines. Everybody's like, no, sir, there are no tickets available. Nothing. And I finally got to sleep about 2. I woke up at 5. I got Sarah and the kids up. And we drove to the airport. I pulled in behind a gold-plated Hummer. <laughs> I remember that. I remember a really red eastern sky. It was a gorgeous morning. sun wasn't even up yet. And we got the kids situated. And Erin was 11 months old. She was a super trooper. It was awesome. Supernatural peace with our little kids who sat seven hours on the floor of the Boise airport in front of the ticket desks while I went down the line from per ticket agent to ticket agent 
do you have seats? No. Do you have seats? No. And we didn't have any money to buy them anyway. Looking back, it was a humiliating time. It was an exciting time. Sarah and I have never had more unity in our marriage than we did that morning. We were so trying to be so in tune with what he wanted and what would he do. And Sarah was got a scripture about not jumping on your horse and riding away, which we kind of took as, you know, not getting in our car and driving. And uh, we also thought the Lord told us to stay there till 1030. And so 1030 came and went and we knew we'd been obedient to stick around and, and see. I went down the line three times. And at one point, one of the ticket agents says, sir, what do you expect to happen? Because I already talked to him. We'd been there for hours. And I was so ashamed and nervous and upset and trying to do the right thing by God and that I, I, just, I couldn't even answer. I just said, well, I, I'm waiting on my father to do something, work, to open a door for us or something. I, I don't remember what I said. It was probably pretty mumbly. But about noon, we had to leave and drive straight through all night, 25 hours to Iowa, or I was going to miss the wedding. And Sarah was convinced that we had God's release to go, that, that we've already stayed past 1030. We have to get in the car and go. I'll never forget the look of love in her eyes as we left Boise, but I'll also never forget the vomitous feeling I had. Like, I have completely failed. I failed God. I failed in front of my wife. My kids weren't old enough to know, but I felt I've never been more ashamed in all of my life than I was that morning at leaving Boise. I asked God 103 times, what did I do wrong? Why didn't it happen? We, we tried to follow the scriptures, and, and it was, it was faith-killing in me. I drove all night, spent an hour in Laramie at a truck stop sleeping. I was a mess <laughs> when we got to the wedding. I don't even remember my brother's wedding. I'd gotten one hour of sleep the night before and three hours the night before that. We got home, and and, and I, like I said, I asked God over and over and over and over again, why didn't you come through? Why We did what, what we did before, and we did what we'd been taught, and, and it didn't work. And, and for years, God said absolutely nothing. I could not go to Boise without getting sick. My faith was just this tall. I, I wasn't about to blame God. Like Obviously, I screwed up. Uh, I, I did something wrong, or I believed something wrong, or whatever, and I'll never, ever forget, it was about four years later or five years later, I was on my way to Portland, and I was on the great big curve in the gorge before Rufus. God didn't warn me. He didn't tell me he was going to bring it up. That's why I know it was him, because I wasn't thinking about it. Just all of a sudden, he dropped it into my heart. He said, I told you to buy the tickets in January. Totally out of the blue. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, because it was the main issue on my heart for years. God says, I told you to buy the tickets in January. I'm like, God, when did that happen? And he reminded me that my principal had said, the very first thing she said is, buy your tickets now because there are no seats available out of Boise on spring break week. But when she said that, I totally uh, blew that off because I, I got this. I know how this works. I just have faith and God provides. God is not a vending machine. We don't put in our faith quarters and push the button and get whatever we asked for. Hello? We're not dealing with a system where we put faith in our faith. 
Like if I do it right, God must respond. We're dealing with a person, not a system or a doctrine. And God will almost always, once in a while in Scripture, He repeats the same miracle, but almost always God does something different every single time. So that we don't figure it out. So that we have to live by faith. The primary example of this in Scripture is Moses bringing water out of a rock twice. And Moses did what I did. I did what Moses did. Let's look at this. From Exodus 17, this is one year after they've come out of Egypt. And they went into a spot in the desert where there's no water. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. It's a rather ironic name. According to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt me? Or why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord not among us or not? So here in this place, in the first year of wandering around in the wilderness, they get to a place where there's no water, there's a quarter million people or more, and there's no water. And they're about to stone Moses, and Moses goes to God, and God says, Take your rod that turned into a snake. Take your rod that you touched the Nile River and it turned to blood. The same rod you parted the Red Sea with. And I'm going to go take you, I'm going to show you a rock, and you're going to hit it with the stick, and it will crack, and water, a river will come out of it. And it happened. In fact, this miracle plays big in Israel's history. There are five or six Old Testament authors that mention this miracle. Uh, Ezekiel and... Now, David and Isaiah all mention God bringing water out of a rock. Uh, it's a really big event in Jewish history. 39 years later, they come to the same place and there's no water. And the people are ready to kill Moses again. This is from Numbers chapter 20. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take your rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. 
But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So 39 years later, people need water again. And Moses thinks, oh yeah, we've done this before. I know how this works. I go to the rock and I strike it with my stick and water comes out. And that's exactly what happened. But it wasn't what God said to do the second time. God said, speak to the rock. These two stories are, it's too much to get into, but they're symbols of the covenant. The first time is the old covenant and the second time is the living covenant. And the rock, the second rock is Jesus and the rivers of living water. And it's the speaking and he brings forth the, the, the living word and the water. But it's, there's a whole sermon series there in these stories. It's too much for today. But all I want to say today is, Moses thought he knew what God, he knew how to get from God what he wanted, which is exactly what I did wrong the second time. We know the first time God told us, do not use the credit card, you're using it as a crutch. You're trusting in man's system instead of me. You wait on me and I will provide for you. We know that we know that. The second time, I just didn't listen, I didn't pay any attention. And I just, oh yeah, we got this, I know how this works. We put our faith quarters in the machine, push the button, out pop the plane tickets. When God did not tell us to do it that way. Amen. I just want to provide a little context here with you by saying God is not a vending machine. We are going to spend four or five Sundays on faith for prayer. Being absolutely certain. What does it mean to be absolutely certain of what we ask for in prayer? Because God is dependable. He is faithful. He will do exactly what he said. We don't have to wish. We don't have to hope. We don't have to blindly grope and claw our way through life. We can know who God is and what he will do. But that's not the same as putting faith in my own faith. Like if I do it right, he must respond. Hello? Our faith is in God. So the lesson for today is stand still, be quiet, and watch God. Do whatever he says. Whenever he says to do it, even when you don't see anything happening, stand in faith and he will come through. Amen?